recording. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. With the one and only, the photogenic, the handsome, the devil himself, and by that I mean he's stunningly good-looking, Dr. Ryan Cole on Monday, May 22nd, 2023. Dr. Cole, could you please introduce yourself while I rudely uh, post a live link? <laughs> no problem, man. And uh, thanks for that kind introduction. Um, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm Dr. Ryan Cole, board-certified anatomic and clinical pathologist, uh, PhD research background in immunology, virology. I uh, ran an independent medical laboratory, cold diagnostics for 20 years here in uh, Boise, Idaho. And I've been a voice for uh, scientific truth and medical freedom. And spite all the slings and arrows and attacks over the last couple of years, I'm just trying to help people and get the truth out. So happy to be on your show again, Tommy, and just you know, go over any any questions you have and go over some science and help people understand in a in a common sense way what's happening in the world. Beautiful. Um, so I, I saw a post about you. I think it was a couple of weeks ago when I when I reached out to you. And I'd heard the term before, and I realized I'd never actually talked to you or anyone about it. But the term, which is seemingly, you know, less than medical, but I think nonetheless it makes the most sense, is turbo cancer. Could you could you maybe elaborate on exactly what that is, aside from the, the obvious implications? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a layman's term that's uh, really made the rounds around the world. Uh, I have a good colleague, uh, Dr. Uta Kruger. Uh, she's in Sweden. And in terms of the harms of the, the COVID-19 injections, uh, you know, she was tracking things carefully. Um, I've been obviously doing some research on the, on the spike protein and what it does, as has she with a group of pathologists out of Germany, Dr. Burkhardt and company, and I've uh, become good friends with them uh, over the last couple of years as we're all just trying to figure this uh, investigational product out. She has been doing breast pathology for several decades, and uh, she was noting after the rollout of the shots um, a big increase in breast cancer within the cohort that you know she sees through the microscope on a daily basis, and she was noting gosh, I mean, the, the size of the tumors that she was, you know, receiving in the laboratory was at, at first presentation, you know, a lot larger than than normal. So, you know, uh, breast cancer may be a centimeter in size, and she was seeing, you know, young women with cancers three centimeters in size. And then no, normally in, in medicine, you know, we understand how cancer progresses over time. You know, as a pathologist, we diagnose and we give, you know, how severe is this cancer? How mild is it? How moderate is it? So we, we, we give a grade to the cancer in terms of appearance and, and, and its look of aggressiveness. And what she was finding in, in her patients was tumors were presenting at that most aggressive appearance and that most aggressive stage early. And then patients who had been cancer free for you know one, two, five, ten years, you know, declared cancer free from their treatments, they've been doing quite well. After the injections, all of a sudden their cancer was back, and not not just back, but back with a vengeance, you know, stage three, stage four on presentation. And then patients who, again, who had been cancer free were presenting, you know with stage four disease all of a sudden. Now, the same thing was happening in individuals who had never had cancer, you know, healthy athletes and, 
and you know just fit individuals who were presenting to their doctor with stage four cancer out of the blue so this you know that kind of explains this turbo construct cancers that again normally you wouldn't expect within you know certain age groups and populations especially the younger population just popping up all of, all of a sudden now there's you know we can go over a lot of the mechanisms as to why that's happening but but you know so that entered the zeitgeist it, it you know made it into an article that she wrote and then a lot of media sources picked up on that um, it was kind of interesting. I was uh, testifying in the European Parliament uh, two weeks ago in Brussels um, with uh, a lot of colleagues, Dr. Malone, Dr. Corey, uh, Dr. Burkhart, my, my pathology colleague, um, and there were about 20, 20 docs from around the world that were there. But when I gave my presentation, I was discussing the mechanisms of cancer and these experimental injections. And I, I asked the room, I said, hey, who in this room, since the rollout of the shots, uh, has a friend, a colleague, a family member, a patient who has a new onset cancer? More than half the room raised their hands. I mean, that room, there was 250 people, and it was just shocking. And I, I basically said, hey, let the record show that this is not normal. Hmm. And that's, and there's a direct correlation to just the quantity, and I guess the the negative quality of them in age groups that wouldn't necessarily have them directly linked back to the rollout of the shot. That's correct. Yeah. And, and I've been following the work. Uh, there's a, there's a great researcher. He stays anonymous for very good reasons. <laughs> um, um, as I've learned by not being, uh, anonymous. Uh, yep. um, uh, but he goes by uh, the term, the ethical skeptic, and he has a, a great website, the ethical skeptic.com. And so he goes in and breaks down the CDC data. And, you know, it, it, th this is what all of our agencies should have been doing from day one. They should have been uh, tracking the codes. You know, when I make a diagnosis in the lab, we're required to, you know, use uh, international diagnostic code. And doctors, when they see a patient in clinic, uh, they use international diagnostic codes. And, you know, they're not used just in the US, they're used around the world. And so these go into databases and health agencies, HHS and whatnot, track the trends. And it's the responsibility of the CDC in their morbidity, mortality weekly report to report trends, be it in infectious disease, be it in cancer, any sort of disease. That's how we track societally what's happening. And it would be very easy for these governments to open up their databases and demand uh, that these databases be regularly updated and we could track these trends. Well, um, this guy, the ethical skeptic, has been able to go in kind of through a back door into some of the CDC data and track the trends that we're, we're seeing. So, you know, you have typical year to year cancer trends, you know, be it breast, lung, prostate, whatever, you know, just very common. You can just look at it and say, okay, you know, we're seeing a subtle increase in this type or that type or colon cancer, whatever. So he's gone in to look at the average trends and then since uh, and, and he looked at, you know, 2018 to 2020. Mm -hmm. So we know the, the stable trends over that period of time. And then he uh, took 2021 and then did the calculations up to the present. And you can see just this rapid rise, you know, uh, depending on age group of rise in cancer over trend. And we're looking at, you know, seven sigma trend increases, 12 sigma trend increases. We're seeing huge trend increases in many different types of cancers. 
And so he's he's saying, and I, and I I confirm, you know, from what I've seen under the microscope, that this is an anecdote. And what changed in in twenty one? Well, we all know what changed in twenty one. And so, unfortunately, um, it it's happening. And you know, but part of it is, and, and I'll allow doctors the excuse that during the pandemic a lot of patients that normally would get screened you know didn't show up for the regular visits and sure. whatnot so you know that's a fair argument however when you look at the trend sets that he does and you look at the age zero to 54 age group well that's not a common group for cancer and to see a 12-fold increase in the trend in that age group is massively telling and so that's where you know obviously as a pathologist um, I was the first one in the world to call this out when I, I noticed early on after the rollout of the shots, I was seeing some viral outbreaks that were unusual in, in older populations. So um, there's a little bump that kids get this little looks like a little white volcano called molluscum contagiosum. And a lot of kids will, will. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Get that, you know, from age zero to into your teens, and then your immune system remembers it, and your T-cells fight it off if you ever get exposed again just you know, natural immunity to that, that little skin infection. But after the rollout of the shots, I started seeing these bumps in 80-year-olds. And then when it rolled out to the next decile lower, then I saw it in 70-year-olds and then 60-year-olds and 50-year-olds. And I was seeing multiple fold increases. I mean, I, I almost never see this. And so I thought, uh-oh, we have T-cell dysregulation. Well, what's the most important uh, cell in your body to fight off cancer? Your T-cells. And so... Um, there was a paper early that came out in 21 from a doctor named Dr. Fossa out of the Netherlands. And he said, hey, folks, uh, after two shots, we're seeing this massive uh, problem with your innate immune system. And your innate immune system is your first responders. It's kind of the Marines of your immune system. And he noticed a, a, a concerning pattern of reprogramming of the innate immune system. Basically, what that means is your T cells that know what to do all of a sudden don't, don't know what to do. And you have these little receptors inside your cells called toll-like receptors, kind of like a toll road. And two of these, number seven and eight, that are on the endosomes on the inside of cells, they're responsible for saying to your cell, okay, train the T cell, make sure they fight off this virus and that virus and this virus. And so like Epstein-Barr virus and mononucleosis and shingles and things like that, you know, all of a sudden after the shot roll out, rolled out, we saw increases in all of those. And then there's a couple other toll-like receptors that also program cells that fight off cancer in the body. Well, those were also altered in his study. And, and again, his line was a concerning pattern of reprogramming of the innate immune system. 
And then the other thing that was critically important in that study, um, we have a chemical in our body. We have a lot of different chemicals called interferons. Mm -hmm. And interferons are, are, are very important in, in all sorts of processes in the body. They're critically important in fighting off viruses for sure. And we know the spike protein, both the infection and the shots, that spike protein caused interferon to go down, which actually made people more susceptible to infection after the shots instead of less susceptible. But interferons also play a critical role in cancer pathways. And so to have that spike protein circulating in the body um, also suppressed interferon, again, suppressing the, the ability of the body to fight off cancers. And so there's, you know, these are, are two of the many mechanisms. Um, there's a, another paper by Dr. Singh et al. that came out showing that the spike protein, the S2 subunit binds to um, Two, two important genes in our body, the, the P53 gene, which mm -hmm. we call the guardian, guardian of the genome, and then it also binds to, to the BRCA gene, which is known uh, to be responsible in breast and ovarian cancers. So <clears throat> those are two more pathways. So what happened in, in the laboratory is after I started seeing all these viral bumps, um, I, I, you know, did a fair amount of women's health biopsies and, and, you know, year after year, especially after doing this for 20 years and hundreds of thousands of patients diagnosed what your average patterns are. And all of a sudden I started seeing a bump in cancers of the uterus and I'm like, what in the heck? And then you just kind of put two and two together and you realize, oh yeah, we have an immune suppressive product on the market that is allowing pathways that would normally be kept in check and suppressed to start taking off. And uh, again, going back to my colleagues in Germany, um, Dr. Burkhart, he and I have shared a lot of uh, slides back and forth, uh, you know, over the internet, just he'll stain uh, tumors, I'll stain tumors, we'll stain autopsy tissues, et cetera, just kind of looking for the changes in the body. And what we're finding is persistent spike protein. There was a really good study by a researcher out of Stanford, Dr. Um, Roltkin, and she showed that the synthetic mRNA, what most people hear, oh, mRNA, it's safe, it breaks down, goes away. What she showed is this, you know, GMO, genetically modified pseudouridine um, in this mRNA persists in the body for a long time. And in her study, it persisted at least 60 days. And there are other studies now that are out showing that the you know, spike is still being made in the body of people for four months, nine months, 12 months. And so these sudden deaths that are occurring um, long after the shot, you know, you'll, you'll hear the authorities say, well, you know, most deaths occur within the first day or two after a vaccine if the vaccine caused it. Well, these aren't vaccines, these are genetic products. So this persistence of this material within the cells, the immune suppression that they cause can lead to these pathways over a long period of time. Um, fairly early on, I had a call from a radiology colleague um, after I had you know, announced and of course got attacked by the media saying, oh, this is all impossible, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, uh, come sit at my microscope and tell yeah. me I'm not seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, this radiologist calls and said, hey, I have, you know, two 31 year olds, both in one day after their booster. Well, I mean, both on the same day that he saw them, but several weeks after their booster, but two 31 year old women stage four breast cancer. He's like, I've never seen this in my career and everywhere I go in the world. And I've traveled a lot, <laughs> you know, I've got about 400,000 miles behind me in just under two years now. Uh, I go family docs, um, radiologists, oncologists. 
like I, I'm seeing cancer at rates I've never seen in my practice. And, it, and it's just not normal cancers. That's the other concern I have is, you know, these are unusual types of cancers that, again, are more aggressive. Going back to, you know, your question, turbo cancer. Mm-hmm. That's what we're and So that's kind of the, you know, the, the thumbnail of the story of what's happening. Now, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a lawyer and it is, I'm tasked with life or death to defend the other side. And that's what I'll do is I'll be a, a spineless prostitute lawyer is if I had to argue anything and it's not what I believe, but if I had to, I would make a Hail Mary approach and say that this was caused by COVID. Something happened in COVID. I would chalk it up. I'd say it's a bioweapon. I would say it's a Chinese bio, whatever. I would say something novel has happened with COVID. And although there was a massive vaccine rollout, there was also a massive pandemic, and these are two kind of unique things that happened very close to one another. We can't say one or the other caused it. Now, you could differentiate and say, well, let's look at the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed groups. But if I had to play devil's advocate with a gun on my head, that's what I would say. Now, I don't believe that, but just if I had to, that's what I would say. What, what would you argue against that with? I, I would argue, you know, to a degree, some of it uh, is probably caused by COVID in some patients. However, um, in a natural infection, your body clears the virus within a week or two. If somebody's reasonably immune competent, the presence or the persistence of the spike protein in most of those individuals is gone very quickly. With the synthetic product, and that persistence of the mRNA, and not only the mRNA, but that synthetic mRNA producing spike protein chronically over a long period of time, mechanistically, you can argue, well, it's in the patients, the, the majority is in patients, you know, whether they were COVID recovered and their doctor duped them into getting a, a super immunity shot on top of their, mm-hmm. their COVID recovery. Um, you can, and, and to your point, you know, there's 30% of the population that did not get these shots. And, you know, the work of Dr. McCullough, you know, it's stochastic. It seems to be a cumulative effect. The more shots you get, the worse off you tend to be, the more immune suppressed you tend to be. Um, Again, this is up to our regulators to be honest, go into the databases. We look at the 30% of the population that never got them, look at the cancer rate, the cancer trends in that population. And then you go into the population and find out who got one shot, who got two, three, four, five. And then just by age decile, simply break down by cancer type. Uh, It it would be a very easy statistical, obviously circumstantial evidence, but but I will argue, and I'll I'll bring up the the ringer here. Um, Dr. Burkhart um, sent to me an image and and I have permission to use his images and whatnot, and we share them back and forth. Shows me a lymphoma in the stomach and went ahead and stained it for spike protein every cancer cell in that cancer was expressing spike protein and and i have yeah yeah and then and then we stain them as well to make sure it's not virus so you know to go against that devil's argument um, um, question um, we can also stain special proteins to see well is the nucleocapsid of the virus there is the membrane present Um, is there any virus present in these cells or is it only spike protein and what we're finding is it's only spike protein. So I have a, a cancer that I showed in the EU parliament of a gal that had received her third shot and shortly thereafter had an aggressive pancreatic cancer. 
and about 70% of the cells in that cancer are expressing spike protein and no other viral proteins. So the hardest scientific evidence is starting to appear as well. And, and so, you know, in a court of law, you know, the more probable than not argument, now you can say, well, then somebody's going to have to come in and counter me and say, why is this protein only this protein present, no viral proteins present. And then we're, uh, I was working with a, another pathologist out of the Netherlands in the EU and going back and forth on some new studies they're gonna be doing. What we saw in um, some of those uh, viral studies that happened um, that like in shingles lesions, you could find spike protein, but you could also find the mRNA in the lesion. So now what we're doing and they're doing is we're going to start looking to see is the mRNA present um, within these cancer lesions as well. But not only mRNA, and this is really important because this has come out in the last couple of months, um, a phenomenal uh, scientist researcher, Dr. Kevin McKernan, uh, and he worked on the Human Genome Project. Project Absolutely brilliant. I, I highly commend his substack. Uh, I think it's called Anandamide. Um, so he took a bunch of the vials and found out that both Pfizer and Moderna, not only, you know, certainly they have the synthetic mRNA, but they're, the technique they use to manufacture these products, um, they use E. coli, a bacteria, and then they're supposed to purify the mRNA produced by the E. coli and, you know, put it in the vials. Well, the E. coli also make these little circular DNAs called plasmid DNAs. Mm -hmm. And what he found is a high percentage of these vials have a lot of DNA in, in them and not just synthetic mRNA. What does that mean? Well, in layman's terms, plasmid DNA can get into your gut. And these were antibiotic risk resistant genes that are in these but they can also get into your cells and then they can co-locate co next to the nucleus of your cell. And then in theory, and based on historical science, permanently become part of the nucleus of a cell. Horizontal gene transfer? It, basically, Isn't yes. Isn't that like relatively, relatively new in biology? Yeah, in terms of researching it yeah. and and understanding you know what it means because it can even be passed on through uh sperm uh, you know i i have other slides uh showing spike protein present in placental tissues i have a slide showing spike protein present in the uterine lining um dr burkhart at a conference i was at in uh, stockholm showed uh abundant i mean i'm talking abundant spike protein present in the testes both of a young man that passed away and of an elderly uh, gentleman that passed away. So I kind of, I kind of joke that, you know, unvaxxed sperm might be the new Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm banking on that, man. <laughs> I'm banking on that. It's, there's a severe conflict of interest on one hand. I'm a God fearing human who, you know, loves the light and soul of the, of God's perfect creation. That is consciousness. And I want everyone to be safe. On the other hand, this podcast isn't really making money, but I'm not vaxxed. And I'm like, <laughs> Hey, ladies, Tommy's a good-looking guy, too. I don't I, know if you've got a girlfriend. I'm not saying anything. I'm not. No, I'm not. And so I a very deep conflict of interest, and perhaps maybe I can have some empathy with the CEOs of Pfizer now because I'm actually starting to see that, that, that devil's temptation of a conflict of interest. I'm like, on one hand, I want people to be safe and not take a bioweapon product. On the other hand, I kind of want to get paid. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and you know, that's the whole thing. I mean, even if they had just done a traditional protein injection, it wouldn't have worked either. I mean, historically, you so know. It would have made their money. Yeah, it would exactly. It would have made them money. Which, it would have still primed you for bad reactions down the road, you know, immune enhancement reactions and whatnot. But it would have been safer than using an experimental, you know, novel gene product on, on billions of humans. And, and, well, and that's when you, and I always have to be careful with this and clarify that I'm speaking for myself. That's when you start looking at it and going, there are easier ways to make money, tried and true ways to make money. There's, I think, I think you brought up last time. I mean, gosh, if they had just given everybody saline and everybody noticed it was safe, then everybody would have gotten one and nobody would have worried. I used to go hang out with my little brother in college. He's a year younger than me. And there was this store in this college town of a pretty, pretty big, pretty big public college and uh it was the piano liquidators in a college town and he'd look i remember the first time i visited him, he was like what do you think about that and i looked at it and i paused for about 20 seconds i said they're running drugs and or laundering money he goes but yeah we all think the same thing i go yeah yeah it's good it's a piano liquidator store at a certain point you look at something on the face value and you stare at it and you go what else is going on? What else is going on? And now I don't know. And I don't claim to know. Something's odd. I don't know what it is. It could very, I mean, I'm not, I'm open to the idea that uh, they were just trying to make money and it backfired so much worse than they ever thought possible. I, I don't know what it is, but it's so, it's one thing if you just guess every, on every question on a test and you get like a 50. If you, Right, that's that's probably you know your Christmas tree is Scantron. You'll probably get like a fifty. But man, if if you get like a ten percent on a test, that's impressive because that means you have to know what the right answer was and not choose it. Right. Right. When you get a ten on a test, I'd start looking at it and going like, "You're trying to fail. Like this is conscious, and you're not stupid. You're actually intelligent. You if you get a perfect zero, you're brilliant." That's kind of how I start to look. I'm like, it's so dangerous on so many fronts that I, I don't I don't know what it is. And it's not something like I'm afraid to say. what I don't know what it is. And that's just my own kind of intellectual, uh, I guess, genuineness I have to give. It's like, I don't know what it is, but it's there, something, there, man. There's an easy answer of convenience. Um, sure, yeah. In terms of, you know, traditionally how, you know, vaccines are manufactured, you know, you have to keep the vaccine factories warm and running and predicting what's coming. 100%. Yeah. And so this this cold chain manufacturing, I mean, the, the, this is the supposed advantage of mRNA is you can quickly put a sequence in, quickly, you know, produce your product. And so like, you know, in Kenya, there's a new $500 million mRNA plant they're building. There's one in England, there's one in Canada, one in Australia. And so, you know, the, the powers that be are pumping billions into building mRNA factories, though we have no long-term safety showing that these things are safe. And so like, you know, the Pfizer RSV that just got, you know, provisional approval, even though there was an increase in premature birth, and, and the, the FDA committee, you know, again, just this rubber stamping up by these captured agencies, they're like, well, we'll just kind of monitor it post-marketing and see if we keep seeing this pattern. I'm like, you guys already see the warning pattern. You see the safety signal. It, it, it's as though there's nobody left with, 
Yeah, well, even Peter Hotez, who is Mr. You know, pediatric vaccine himself, said, yeah. "Guys, you know, we, we, at some point we gotta yeah. step back." And, and I mean, he's as as Mr. Vaccine as, as it comes. Yeah, he even said that this isn't making sense, guys. So I mean, there's some degree of regulatory capture that's almost unconquerable. But you would think that some of these individuals would still have some morality. Um, or ethic left. You know, when we saw two of the the heads of FDA step back and step down back in twenty one, um, you know, they just said, "Look, yeah, we can't be part of yeah. this anymore." I, I I don't know. I, again, when when money is the driving force behind everything, and don't don't get me wrong, like you said, you know, people got to make a living. I get that, but do it ethically, do it morally, do it with something that's going to be productive for society. Uh, it, it's it's a conundrum. What I think it is, not that you asked, but I'll solicit it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what I think it, and I've thought about it a lot. I don't, and I'm I'm banned from YouTube and iTunes, so this isn't even like I'm being careful. I I really don't think it's an intention. And I've thought about it a lot. I don't think it's an intentional bioweapon or the the vaccine that is, or or population reduction. Not, and again, I'm not giving them any credit. Not that I don't think the powers that be would do that, but that's not at all it. I think they would do it in a heartbeat. I think you could do it more effectively and do it quicker. What I think it is, is I think that despite everything and despite hundreds of episodes I've done talking about just how dangerous it is, I do still think mRNA is probably the future. But I think it's the future and very much so that uh, this rollout was kind of like, um, I don't know, like the right flyer. And people with a brain are going, air travel is the future, man. It can't be steamboats forever. I don't want to get on this first gen plane and I'm not going to fly. I'm probably for another 30 years, even at world war two, the propellers, you're going, oh, let's wait till the jet engine. The Nazis make the jet engine. You go, that one looks a little safer. I think this is the R and D and I think they're rolling it out. And in time, we'll probably iron out the kinks and in a hundred years, we'll look back at it. And the same way, you know, you know that, the Chinese slaves we used to build the railways that went out west were bad. The way that we know, you know, we used unskilled labor in New York to build skyscrapers and guys fell to their death all the time. You know it happened, but at the same time, you don't really think twice about it. The same way you know that child labor pushed the textile industrial revolution forward. And you look at it and you learn about it and you go, that's so sad. And then you just go about your day. I think in many ways we'll probably look back in a hundred years and go, oh yeah, no, that original, that initial rollout was bad. However, you know, five rollouts later, we have perfected it. And now when there is a bioweapon or a novel virus, we have, you know, it'll be so advanced that you can just 3D print your vaccine and, and take it much like you get an iPhone update. And that might actually end up being a good thing, which is a very dark Machiavellian thing to consider but that might be it yeah i mean and i think that's that's a great assessment i mean i'm i'm not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sure. i i agree with you in the sense that you know when you have inborn errors of metabolism and and you do need to get a sequence into every cell so that those cells can now function normally great now now that type of technology uh, lipid nanoparticle goes to every cell. Now, if we were able to say, okay, you know, this this virus comes in through the mucosa, we have receptors in this part of our body that we don't have elsewhere, and we can get this to only bind to where we want it to be, then that would be the end goal. 
And now, you know, ironically, you know, we're talking about cancer a little bit. Now Moderna and, and Pfizer are jumping on the bandwagon of, oh, we're going to use mRNA technology to cure cancers. It seems seems a little ironic. Mm. But at the same time, um, to your point, very specific uses and very specific conditions, once once you can control the product, and, and that's the big mistake we, we made scientifically around the world with this rollout, is we knew scientifically lipid nanoparticles would go any and everywhere in the body. Now they're rolling forward with other injections for other pathogens now. And my argument is until you can control that lipid nanoparticle, this is not a good platform. The mRNA itself, that synthetic mRNA, does it have human potential? Yeah, but it's time to go back to the bench top and do all those appropriate animal studies and, and the long-term, again, mutation studies you know, prior to this, you know, some mRNA, mRNA studies showed, look, you know, there are some cancer, you know, signals early on before COVID ever became a thing. And, and research in this area showed concerning signals, because once you do put a gene product and any cell that becomes transfected with genetic material from something else now has the opportunity to mutate. So I, I agree with your overall Machiavellian uh, picture and sense that in the long term, you know, generation five or six or 10, maybe we'll get it right. But the answer isn't to do it to billions of people as the guinea pigs. No, not at all. And I'm, I often on this podcast, I have to clarify. There's a difference between what I think is right and what should happen and what I think is probably happening. Well, right. that's the beauty of thought experiment. Absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. asking any and every question. And this is what should have happened in public forums between scientists like me and other scientists. We should have had these just open dialogues and conversations. Okay, what, what are the potential benefits? What are the potential bad outcomes? Uh, how do we do this appropriately in what age groups? And now that you know, we knew the risk stratification that we shouldn't have done this to everybody, and maybe it did benefit a handful of elderly people early on before everything started mutating. So having that thought experiment is absolutely critical, but having the dialogue and not censoring those of us that want to think differently. I mean, I, I joke, look, if you want to follow the, uh, if you want to know the true science, follow the silenced. Ooh, and that's I like what, that. And that's what's happened to you. It's happened to me and so many other colleagues that we're just we're just trying to be voices of reason. And I mean, even the Roman emperors would, you know, have a slave whispering in their ear, all all glory is a fleeting thing. And so to historically think, look, you, you, your hubris is, is doing you no good because you too will go the way of all the earth. So to have ego about this and, and not keep humanity as your end goal and have empathy for those who might be harmed by you know, something experimental, it, it really diverges from where we should be as a, as a human species and the way our thought processes would work in a decent manner as a society. Well, and like all ego and hubris, you know, it also brings up the thought of, yeah, but I'll do it differently. I'm not right, dumb right. like every other emperor over every other century. No, I'll do it differently. And it's, I mean, but not even going back to emperors. Let's just go back 80 years and look at the, look at the experiments that the Luftwaffe was doing, the ice bath experiments, the zero pressure experiments with human beings, the wind tunnel experiments with human beings, or Unit 731 in Japan, Shiro Ishii, right. what the experiments they were doing there. I mean, what did we do with all of them? What did we do with the rank and file people? We hung them. What did we do right. with the brains behind it? 
we brought him over to Fort Detrick, and that's just is what it is. Does that make it good? No. Does it make it evil? Yeah. World War II just finished. There's 85 million dead. I think there were probably some very callous generals that said, I think one of the quotes is, there's no point in beating a dead Nazi horse. And another quote was along the lines of, um, the research is already done. Go get it. And does that make yeah. it good? No, man. That That is a dark conversation that you probably need a couple glasses of whiskey to even have. But the reality is we brought him back over here and we got a bunch of research that, though evil, is still based in reality. And I don't think it's right, yeah. but I, th I think it's probably what happened and it's probably what's happening. It is what's happening. And, and you know, science... Ah, yeah, science without ethics is is dangerous and, and you know god bless all those who ended up as a, a victim of all of this research and experimentation over the years but you know history being a poem that rhymes with itself it, it's certainly very frustrating to see that we didn't learn the lessons from you know world war ii and human experimentation and we're just willing to you know, move forward, you know, be it the Fauci's, the Collins, the Walensky's, uh, et cetera, who just, you know, duped the people, duped the people and, and allowed this to keep rolling forward. I mean, you know, um, going to the cancer thing real quick. I mean, the NIH, there was a really good paper by Dr. Uh, Zhang et al. Um, out of Sweden that showed how this spike protein and these shots were causing the inability for uh uh, T cells to repair DNA. Well, that same mechanism can happen in, in multiple cells in the body. And when, when you get a break in your DNA, either a cell dies or a cell uh, mutates. Well, Dr. Let's see, Eric Fried and Oliver, it's like Schlinder, Schlinder um, there's 490 pages of communications uh, showing from the NIH how these two individuals squashed this paper and got it retracted, even though it was good science because they didn't want people to know that this DNA repair mechanism was being destroyed. And so 490 pages and the NIH uh, through FOIA requests won't release what they knew about the carcinogenic mechanisms and, and why they forced this paper to not be allowed to be uh, in there for uh, public consumption. So this same mindset from 80 years ago still still persists. You know, we're going to keep doing experimentation. If it harms someone, well, we're learning from it. Uh, never mind the people we're harming. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. I never want to be that kind of scientist. And I, I love the work of Jordan Peterson in terms of just, you know, talking about it's cool. I got to meet him last week. He was here. Awesome. Talk. Uh, amazing guy. Um, and I you know got to chat with him for a few minutes backstage. It was really neat. But you know, how he talks about that any of us could have be become that complacent and complicit Nazi, any of us. And we all say, oh, I would never do that. But checking our, our self and checking our ego and checking our motivations, we, we have to be able to say, you know, I could potentially go there. And, and living life on a day-to-day -day basis such that one lives with the morality and ethic saying, okay, I'm going to keep myself in check and stay aware and stay awake such that I don't allow myself to go down those pathways. How we got so many people complicitly involved over these last three years into this process and just everybody, you know, demonizing the unvaccinated or demonizing those that, you know, wanted true informed consent and want to acquiesce to this insanity. You know, it, it's fun to see these montages on the internet and Twitter now of, you know, you know, 
you know, we're not all safe until, you know, all of you get yeah. the shot, all those kind of things. It's really, it's really bizarre to look back now, but it, it's also critically important to look forward and, and not allow this to continue. There's also just some like poetic truth to things like don't trust anyone over 30. <laughs> you see rage against the machine requiring vaccine passports to get into their shows. You see Howard Stern, who is, yeah. uh, who is bef- before my time, but like, to see him saying the military should go door to door and enforce, you really do see. I think some comedian said a couple of years ago at the Super Bowl there was some Bob Dylan commercial about a Mercedes Benz, and they went, "Man, I bet every hippie watching that is saying, God, I wish I died of an overdose before I saw Bob Dylan sell Mercedes Benzes.' <laughs> right? <laughs> that'd be like that'd be like seeing Jimi Hendrix alive today in a G six private jet. You'd be like, what happened to like headbands and playing a guitar behind your back? There is something poetic about seeing rebels. Yeah. Turn around and say, you take this, this go- you take what big governments told you to do. It's insane. But also, you know, we do, what would I be in Nazi Germany? And I think I'm kind of, you know, despite being censored and not making any money and being thrown into a corner of oblivion. I am proud that I kept doing these interviews despite being banned and to great personal cost, social and financial. But at the same time, I am no better because I'm still using an iMac and an iPhone constructed by slave labor in China. And I don't even mean that as an edgy comment. I know full well they are. And I just shrug. I know it's bad. I know it's horrific. What am I realistically going to do? Nothing. I'll say a sentence about it on a podcast. And so am I really any different? Uh, it's, it's, it's a humbling it's a thing, man. It's a conundrum of gradation and rationalization and justification. It really is. And to try to figure out, you know, it, part of me would just love to be, you know, a Luddite and live in a cabin in the woods I and, and love be... It. You know, part of part of me wants to do that. You know, I, I do live close to nature here on my little organic farm and do my woodwork and farming just kind of as a, a release from all the, the chaotic world we're in. But I, I hear you. It's like, you know, where do you where do you make those decisions and cutoffs? And and where, where were the rebels? Where were the protesters? You know, where were the the. Musicians. I mean, the guys like uh, Five Times August, he was great. Uh, Peter Conway over in the UK, Deepak. There were a handful of musicians that wrote the protest songs of COVID. A couple of cool rappers that did as well. But they were few and far between. And where's that spirit of rebellion and that spirit of independence? And it's really kind of mind-boggling how this massive psychological operation affected so many people worldwide and we we know look there were nudge units there were brigades in canada brigades in the uk military in the us using psychological mm-hmm. warfare against the american people uh and against the world and and but being brave enough to say look i do not consent and having that dissenting voice and and you know what you stood for you stood for you know truth over profit and I think I think karma will you know pay back over time. I I'm think, banking on it. <laughs> I think you and I both are. Um, but at the same time, knowing in your heart, look, hey, I did the right thing at that period in history. I can look back and say, 
I wasn't willing to play the game. And whatever it is in, in, in the fiber of your soul and my soul and our colleagues, you know, that, that made us realize early on, I, I, I wish we could uh, find that and clone that and inject a little bit of that back into humanity. At the, you know, it does feel good, like morally, and I can sleep well. But on like a much simpler level of reality, it's also just so not cool to like go along with it. On like a very ego driven thing, it's like not badass. Like limited to like an, I'm regressing to like an 18 year old testosterone filled mind, but it's just really not like cool. Regardless of everything else, it's simply not cool. You're kind of a loser. If you just going back to just schoolyard bullying, you're kind of a dweeb if you push this thing. Well, I love that you bring that up because uh, there's a guy, guy I like his writing, Charles Eisenstein. He has a good substack too, and and put a bunch of his substacks into a book. But he talks about the abuser triangle, and you have the abuser, the victim, and the rescuer. And that bully is going to continue to bully until the victim stands up. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, so much of our society was waiting for a rescuer to come along instead of just saying, look, I'm just going to push back against the bully. Yeah. And and the fact that, you know, our society has become so soft in that regard is concerning, you know, going forward in terms of having a, a, a true republic, a democratic republic and and standing on the principles of, of rule of law and and a true you know, tri tricameral government, which which we don't, and and people people allowed themselves to think, oh, my rights and my freedoms are just privileges, and and it's not cool to to acquiesce to a, a corrupt government and say, okay, yeah, you can treat my my God given rights and my freedoms and my constitution as though they're privileges. No, they're set in stone, and and to see. An, an American people weakened and not being willing to say my body, my choice. And no, I'm not going to be an experimental subject in your, in your game. I, I don't know where we go from here, Tommy. I, I hope, you know, people are waking up. Things are becoming mm -hmm. more common knowledge instead of private knowledge. Thankfully, the truth is, is trickling out a little, little too late for a lot of people that can't wake up in the morning ever again. Mm -hmm. Those who are now fighting off, you know, the diseases we've been talking about and other things as well. But yeah, we're we're at a, an inflection point in in history and in society. There, I, if there's any silver lining from it, it's that um, it's almost poetic, but it is a lot like immunity. You know, if it kills you, it didn't obviously it didn't do you any good. If a disease kills you, but if it doesn't, and you do you know, get natural immunity, you are now stronger than you've ever been in your life. And that they didn't pull off global techno fascism. Like, I think they really wanted to. Oh, I agree. They, they took a shot at the president and they missed, which means you're screwed. You are at best going to be shot to death by the secret service. At worst, <laughs> you're going to rot in a prison forever. They they went for the they took they went for they 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 went for the king and they missed and at the very least we can now all see what they were willing to do the military psyops they're willing to do domestically what they are willing to do in turning your neighbor against you 
and to know that these people still exist that per, uh, perpetrated this and that they're probably going to try again in our lifetimes with something. I don't know what it will be. You can develop an immunity to that and go, yeah, maybe it's good to have alternative video platforms. Maybe it's good to stomp out censorship, you know, smother in, in the crate in the in the cradle. You know, I think we can still we might be in the we're still sick phase as a planet but we might build an immunity from this which would make us stronger than ever before but we we have to recover and actually work on it and be able to look at it in the future i mean when monkeypox came out everyone <laughs> and their brother was like the hell is this shut <laughs> up will you shut up this is a global shut up you just changed the channel right yeah. but that wouldn't have happened without covid so right that's if there's a silver lining it's that yeah i I agree i mean i think a lot more people are awake now than than were so i i think that that is a silver lining and i i I stay hopeful that as we continue to get the word out and continue to stand you know if you look at a lot of people we've been consistent for the whole time yeah i i think courage begets courage and when one person stands up against a bully other people realize, hey, that is a bully. I can stand up too. I can stand yeah. up too. So staying in that truth and staying in that consistency and learning as we go, but being, I, I think being kind as we bring people into an uncomfortable truth, obviously they have to go through all that cognitive dissonance, but once they join, you know, what is it? The the uh, the convert becomes the best apostle. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 And not just the heretic, you know, I've been a heretic all along, but, you know, I see some of my colleagues that were, d- did a 180. Yeah. And now, those like, are... yeah, that, those are the ones that, you know, are really, they're making an impact now. So I'm hopeful. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, the most patriotic friends I have are like the immigrants from Eastern Europe. Right. You got it. The evil right? Soviet. No, they're <laughs> here and they're covered in American flags and, right, they, almost obnoxiously. And it's like, yeah, that might, it might be that. It might be, that might be the best thing. So I don't know, but um, Dr. Cole, thank you so much for your time. I know it's a shorter episode than our last oh, one. Good. I'd love to do a longer one. I love kind of going down the rabbit hole with you. Uh, I forget that you're also a, a, a history buff, so I appreciate I that. It. But um, guys, if you want to go see more of uh, Dr. Cole in the description are, are links to everything, Dr. Cole. Thank you for your time, sir. My pleasure, Tommy. Have a great one. You too, sir. Thank you so much. Recording guys, stopped. Thank you so much for watching. Everybody out there, peace.